Welcome to Mommy Diary, the podcast. I'm your host, Angela Kim. I'm a creative, lifestyle blogger, and mom of four. This podcast is all about honest stories of motherhood and real conversations with real mothers just like you. Unlike my Instagram account, not everything will be beautiful. I promise to be vulnerable and share stories of all the struggles and the incredible moments we all share as women and mothers. So do me a favor and screenshot this episode, add it to your IG stories, then tag me at Mommy Diary. I'd love to feature you on my Insta stories. We're all in this together, mamas. Let's dive into the show. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Mommy Diary, the podcast. Before I begin today, I just have to let you guys know that all my four kids are still home with me. Um, we're still in quarantine and it's just becoming harder and harder to wait for that perfect time when all the kids are sleeping. So I realized that I'm just going to go ahead and start recording these, even if there are some distractions in the home. So I hope you guys understand. One day when summer is over and my older kids are back at school, I think it'll be easier to create these episodes distraction-free. So I hope you guys just understand those limitations of my current situation. Thank you so much for joining me back today. Today, I wanted to talk about my pregnancy and labor story and why I chose to go unmedicated my fourth time. To begin, I want to remind you guys that there is no right or wrong way to give birth. And I want to add this disclaimer because you know, there's so much judgment out there in the motherhood community and we don't need to add to that noise. I can, I consider all of those judging comments noise that we really don't have to listen to. Each labor and delivery experience is sacred. Each labor and delivery experience is beautiful. I can tell you this firsthand because I experienced four vaginal deliveries which I'm very grateful for, but I also know that any of those um, labor and delivery experience could have ended up in a C-section and I would have been okay with that. So every time I have a new baby, I go into it in a state of surrender. I am fully aware that anything can go wrong, that anything can happen, that anything can change. And this is really how I approach my entire motherhood journey. I tell some of my friends this in, you know, when we have personal conversations that even when I begin each pregnancy with my very first one, I wasn't aware of this, but I know that, you know, miscarriage, for example, is very common. And every time I find out I'm pregnant, I don't think that, oh, this pregnancy is going to end up with this perfect baby at 40 weeks. I never think that because I have learned over the years through my own experience of having a special needs child with various medical conditions, through the stories of other mothers that I've connected to over the years online, I know that anything can happen at any time, which means I can have a miscarriage at any time. A pregnancy can go wrong at any time. A pregnancy can be terminated at any time for whatever reason. A child can be born with, um, you know, special needs at any time. I really, and I'm not just saying this to you guys, I know this wholeheartedly. And I think this is a gift that God gave me by me having a special needs child from my very first motherhood experience. I go into every baby, every pregnancy, every labor in this full surrender mode. I don't control anything. I do plan as much as I can, but I also know that these birth plans pregnancy plans, I mean, they can be thrown out the window, guys, in a heartbeat. That's how motherhood works. So when I get, you know, questions from new mothers, hey, did you have a birth plan? Or what did you think about this? I do my best to offer my advice. But I know deep down inside that these are just recommendations and guidelines. It's never set in stone. And I say this at every episode, but I want to remind you guys once again, that especially when it comes to pregnancy and baby and childbirth, nothing is set in stone and things can change at any time. 
And I want to encourage you guys to go into this in a total state of surrender. And when I say surrender, it doesn't mean not doing your research, not doing your reading. You know, it doesn't mean you don't have certain plans set in place. You should, every time, you should always have an idea of what you want out of your pregnancy and birthing experience. And I think doing research and reading is a great way to do so. I am a huge advocate of education, especially for mothers. And I don't think that, you know, having two kids already means you're not, you're, you already know everything because there's always something to learn in motherhood. But when I say state of surrender, I mean, giving up control, doing what you can, but knowing that the end result is completely out of our hands. It's really up to a higher power, whether you believe in a God or Allah or, you know, you know, no matter what you call your God, those are just labels. I wish that you guys do believe in a higher power because there truly is a higher power and connecting to the higher power is so important, especially when we become mothers. And I hope you guys get a better sense of that as you guys listen to my episodes on this podcast. So that was a very long (laughs) introduction to this episode. But yes, a state of surrender, giving up control, knowing that things can go wrong or that things can change at any time and being okay with that. You know, not facing that those fears with anxiety but facing those uncertainties with just saying you know god i know the health of myself and my baby it's entirely in your hands whatever the higher power is you know please let this turn out exactly the way you mean it to turn out um i i surrender myself and this baby into your hands that's such a beautiful and powerful way of approaching childbirth and pregnancy because That is where beautiful things happen. So once I learned this form of prayer and surrender, once I discovered this, that's how I approached, um, I approached my third and fourth pregnancy. And I have to say that these were my most empowering and beautiful, spiritual and transformative pregnancies. So when I say state of surrender, it doesn't mean that things are going to go wrong. I think Contrary to that, I think things turn out even better than when I try to control every aspect of this journey. So the fourth baby, I decided to go unmedicated. And I know a lot of women, when I told them this, they said, why would you do that? It's kind of crazy. I know it hurts a lot. Like, why would we choose to be in pain, right? It sounds crazy, but you know, to be fair to all the newer mothers out there, I only realized when I was at my fourth baby, I realized our bow- our bodies are so powerful and pain that comes with every other act, you know, aspect of life is not very pleasant. You know, like when we fall and, you know, break our head open or when we fall and we break a bone or the pain that comes from you know, cutting our finger while we're cooking, like those pains are not pleasant. But I believe that pain that comes with childbirth is a different kind of pain because it's pain that is there for a reason. You know, it's pain that is for some reason a part of this larger journey of motherhood. It's pain that means something because at the end of this pain, you get the greatest gift that you could ever be given in life called motherhood. And the end result is this beautiful newborn baby that I'm sure if you guys have experienced it, I mean, they are angels. They are angels on earth. And I believe that this entire labor journey after going through it unmedicated is like a portal. It's almost like a telephone from heaven to earth. The moment, like right when the baby comes out, you feel this amazing feeling that I know I could never feel again. And, you know, mothers who go through childbirth unmedicated will tell you the natural hormones. I think it's called oxytocin. 
I don't know if it endorses endorphin or serotonin in our brains, but I mean, our body is just pumping out these hormones naturally and you feel the greatest high. You're in ecstasy and the baby comes out. And that feeling is like, I can't even put that feeling into words. You could only um, know what I'm talking about if you've experienced it. And I believe that's the power of childbirth. It's like this portal. It's this meeting point of heaven and earth right before our new angels are born. And when you go unmedicated, you're able to feel all these feelings naturally, raw. I mean, don't get me wrong. The pain is raw. But because the pain is raw, the, the joy that you feel after childbirth is also raw, meaning like your pain is at its, at its extreme. And that is what, you know, what we hear of the pain of childbirth, but the joy and the, the, the greatest gift, the blessing. I mean, these endorphin, it's almost like you feel high on something. These natural like drugs that your body is pumping into you, your body, so that you feel this joy. That is also at its peak. Once I understood that, I wanted to feel that because I knew, and that this is not to say that if you have a epidural birth that you don't feel that joy, you, you clearly do. I mean, the joy that you feel after your baby comes out is the same, whether you are a C-section mama or whether you had a, you know, medicated birth, you still feel that. All I'm saying is when I had a, an unmedicated birth, that feeling of joy was the greatest and it truly is that's a fact and that's what I wanted to share with you guys today and this is not to deter you from using pain meds or to or to shame moms who do use pain meds because hey if if you don't have a high pain tolerance and if you're scared of that then you know that anxiety can be worse so I would say you know going having an epidural and leaning and turning to pain meds is a smart choice for you but all I'm saying is if you are where I was with my fourth delivery, where I wanted, I really wanted this for myself. So if you really want that, hey, this is my story and I'm here to give you courage that yes, it's painful, but the pain comes with the greatest reward at the end. So I decided to have an unmedicated childbirth because I had like the universe was just giving me signs. For some reason, as you know, I was going through my pregnancy, I'll get random DMs from my friends or my followers. You know, I consider all of my audience like my friends. Some are real friends, real life friends. Some I've met a few times. Some I've never met at all, but I just feel like you guys are all my friends. So I would just get these random DMs in my inbox where people are like, hey, how are you feeling? So, you know, are you planning on that unmedicated birth? Are you going to have to have an epidural? It just kind of like, there were people who were putting these ideas in my head. Like it was like planting seeds. And I would just get signs as if I was meant to try this unmedicated birth. And perhaps the reason is so that I can share with you guys my story. I had a random friend that told me like, oh, I think you can do this. And I said, why? She's like, you know, you're into meditation and crystals, all these like spiritual stuff. That's ultimately like what childbirth is. I think you can do it. You know, when, when someone tells you you can do it, you start feeling like more courage. I thought, really? Okay, let me look into it. So what I did was by recommendations of my motherhood community, and this is also why it takes a village. Um, I read Ina May's A Guide to Childbirth. I'll link this on my show notes. This book is full of positive birthing stories. And, you know, there are so many scary stories out there, but you also want to read the positive ones because it's these positive stories that really give you courage to try for yourself. And I also watched a documentary called The Business of Being Born. It's an old documentary. I think it was sponsored or it was like created by Ricky Lake, the really the old school um, talk show host. But it was about, uh, it was very eye-opening because it taught me the different factors that go into childbirth. And on the medical side, 
like talks about money, like how much the doctors make when they deliver a baby naturally, uh, vaginally versus a C-section. And it's true that C-sections almost became a business decision for a lot of these doctors. It was very eye-opening and I want you guys to watch this documentary if you're considering of learning more. I mean, just we have to be more informed to make the best decision for ourselves and our babies, right? You know, I had friends who had doulas and I didn't even find a doula until the end of my pregnancy because I was just busy. Sometimes you're just too busy to even research and find a doula. So in choosing my doula, I have to say, I just went with my gut. I just Googled uh, doulas in my area. Um, I set up a call and I just really try to go with my gut. So I let my intuition guide me rather than my head. And I feel like when it comes to major decisions in life, when I make the decision, listening to my intuition, I was never wrong. So I used that method again. And I found a doula, an amazing doula named Amber. And I highly recommend her. But yeah, I went with my gut. I had one meeting. I was literally like so close to my birth that when we had a meeting at Starbucks, at a local Starbucks, I didn't even have time to like take advantage of all the other service that she offers because I was so ready to give birth. So I went with my gut. So before I uh, tell you guys about my fourth natural delivery, I want to share a snippet of my first three deliveries. So the very first time I gave birth, I was a very young mom in my early 20s. It was a high-risk pregnancy. This was a lease. But even when they said high-risk, I didn't even know what that really meant. I had a doctor's appointment every week. They had to put, they stick me up to, with this fetal monitor. And uh, when you are high-risk, then you have to just be pretty much like be monitored every week versus like once a month throughout your pregnancy. I think towards the end of your pregnancy, they monitor you every one to two weeks. But when you're high risk pregnancy, you go every week a lot. It was a lot of extra appointments. And the reason why I was considered high risk was because I had low fluid. Till this day, I don't know if that has anything to do with Elisa's special needs. There are moms with low amniotic fluid who have, you know, perfectly healthy babies. But for me, that was an indication and that was the only time I had low um, fluid. I was induced at 40 weeks. I went to my 40 weeks doctor's appointment. My OB checked me and monitored the fluid level and he determined that it was safer to get the baby out because um, the fluid was low. I was induced. I mean, it was my very first baby, so I just was dying to get the baby out. I didn't even know what induction meant. Pretty much when you're induced, your body's not ready to give birth. Um, when you do it this way, my body was complete. I was completely closed. My cervix was not opened or thinning at all. And I just pretty much went into the hospital and they gave me Pitocin. They inserted something in my uterus. Um, it's like a pill that they insert to start loosening your cervix, your cervical area. And that was the most traumatic experience. I wasn't opening, you know, more drugs, more just being hooked up to monitors. And to me, I thought this was what childbirth looked like because I didn't know of any other natural childbirth stories, which is unfortunate. But to me, that's what it looked like. So it was just traumatic, you know, being pumped with all types of medication. It took me, I was in the hospital for two days. I mean, I don't even, I can't even talk about it in terms of hours because I was in there forever and nothing was happening. It wasn't progressing. And I think once I reached a certain point, because of the Pitocin that's being pumped into my body, you know, I'm having these really painful contractions. I mean, contractions that felt so painful that I really literally thought I was going to die. I couldn't even walk to the, to the bathroom because the pain was so bad. But when you're hooked up to the IV, they're pumping in liquid in your body, which means you have to go pee. But I can't even walk to the bathroom because I was in so much pain. My husband had to hold like this pan bedside so that I can just like go pee in it. And I remember there was a time, sorry, TMI, I would just like pee like everywhere because I was in so much pain. I mean, trust me, guys, this was the worst traumatic labor and delivery experience. 
pain was so bad. But even with the pain, the baby wasn't coming out. And I told him, just please give me something. Like, please get rid of this pain. And then they'll pump in like more medication, like more medicine. I think, and it'll just make me woozy. It's like the pain medication was so strong that I was, I was completely outside of my body, but not in a good way. I lost all control over my labor experience is the best way to put it. I lost all control. I lost control of my body, my bodily functions, like going pee. I lost control over my pain. I wasn't doing any breathing. I mean, I think I did do a Lamaze class with my husband. But I mean, gosh, like none of these breathing techniques worked because pretty much in short, it was I lost all control. I gave up control over my labor and delivery experience to medicine and to science and to drugs. I was hooked up to all kinds of machines. So pretty much I felt like, I felt like just like an animal, like being hooked up to all these machines who are just forced to give birth. It was not spiritual. It was, you know, not empowering. It was painful. And after two days of painful labor contractions and being hooked up to all kinds of uh, monitors and being pumped all types of, you know, pain medication, baby was out. Elise came out and I know I was so happy and I was so, so excited to finally see my first baby girl. But looking back, that experience was not spiritual because I was just drugged up. And I had a, a bad tear because again, I was pushing, not feeling my pelvic area. And I would just push when the doctor and the nurses tell me to push. So pretty much that birthing experience was doing what others told me to do. I followed what everyone else told me to do. Oh, I didn't even know that I was supposed to deliver my placenta. So once the baby was out, I was like, oh my gosh, thank God I'm still alive. I survived this. And they were like, no, you got to keep pushing. I was like, what do you mean? And they said, oh, you have to deliver the placenta. And no one had told me this. My doctor didn't tell me this. I had the what to expect when you're expecting book that I was reading religiously. And I guess I just that part wasn't there. I mean, I don't remember, but I didn't know I was supposed to deliver my placenta or even what my placenta was. So, I mean, can you imagine like I was just so not ready to be a mom and to deliver this baby. And I did. So once I came home, you know, I had all these stitches down there. It was so painful to sit. It was painful to breastfeed. It was just hard all around. And that was the beginning of my motherhood journey. So that was the story of my most difficult and traumatizing labor and delivery experience. Luckily, my second and my third was not as traumatic. Uh, my second one was pretty smooth, except I mean, the pregnancy was really great. I think it was one of, one of my easiest pregnancies, and that's my second daughter, Tessa. I was just really busy learning how to be a mom and taking care of Elise. And for her, I went full term. I actually went full term with all of my babies except for my last. With Tessa, I my labor started the day of my due date. In the morning, I was feeling mild contractions. And, you know, you get the really uh, mild practice contractions. Braxton Hicks for a few weeks. At this time, I think I was a little softer. My cervix was softer than my first pregnancy. I think once your body um, kind of knows how to give birth, I've heard that our body has memory, or I know that to be true. And I think this applies even when we're giving um, birth, your body knows what to do. So if you've given birth before, your second one is going to be a little smoother. It's harder because you have other children to look after. So I always say your first pregnancy is the easiest because you're by yourself. You're not taking care of any other children. But on the flip side of that, your second pregnancy or thereafter is easier because your body has already been through this. So most likely... Your cervix will be a little more dilated. Your, your, ba your body kind of knows what to do and you're just feeling a little more in tune with your body at this point. 
or at least that's that was the case for me. So with Tessa, the day of the due date, I went into the hospital or I went to my OBGYN appointment for my 40th checkup. And he said, you're in labor. You're most likely going to go into labor, active labor end of this end of today. And he said, do you, do you just want to go straight to the hospital and be induced? I should have said no. I should have said, no, I'll just go back home and I'll let labor to take place the way it's meant to naturally. But I didn't know. Again, lack of education, lack of knowledge on my part. So I said, yes, please get her out because I was tired at this point. So again, I made the wrong choice. I went into the hospital. Looking back, I think the doctor did this more out of his own convenience because he probably didn't want to come back to the hospital to deliver my baby later that night. So I think it was just easier for him. I mean, I wish someone told me this, but again, I had no one to really hear this from. So I went to the hospital that morning. I don't remember exactly how long I was in there. I think I was in there for, um, it was within a day. Went in the morning and she came out, I think later in the afternoon. Again, that was very smooth. Labor progressed. Once I reached active labor, they gave me epidural. The pain was gone. And I just had the baby naturally, vaginally, but with epidural. The recovery for that was too fast. And you can hear more about this on episode two or three. It's my postpartum depression one. But, um, so I feel like in that labor, my doctor just took away my body's natural ability to labor. And of course, you know, he didn't do it forcefully. I agreed to it. But I wish that, you know, I had more education. And that's the thing with doctors. They're not always going to tell you what's best for you. They may tell you something that's best for them. So it is really up to us, the mothers, to know that we have a voice and we can ask or demand the experience that we want. But when you don't have the knowledge and you're relying on the doctors to tell you everything about your labor and delivery process, as you can see from, you know, my first and my second experience, that you can easily have that experience where it's being controlled by medicine and science and by your doctor rather than being controlled by yourself and the baby. So the second time, you know, was very smooth, but it ended in postpartum depression because I think I was just really um, medicated. And uh, secondly, I think it's because I went through so much. I had a baby, I was breastfeeding, I got pregnant again, and then I went right into breastfeeding again. I think it's just my body was just like, this is just too much for me with all the hormones, me not having help. I was a full-time Seattle mom of two kids, one with special needs. It was just a really difficult time. And you can hear more about this story in the episode where I talk about postpartum depression. So with the third third baby, my son, Declan, that one was actually a difficult pregnancy. And I think it was because it was my third. I don't know if it's because it was my only boy. Pregnancies are different for everybody. But for me, I have a very textbook pregnancy where When I am pregnant with the girls, I crave a lot of fruits and sweets. When I was uh, pregnant with the boy, I did crave more savory things, more salty things, more meat. So for me, those um, like stereotypes, I guess, of a girl and a boy pregnancy was accurate in my case. So with him, I had really bad nausea. I had really bad headache, but it could also be because my body was older. I was now in my 30s and, you know, my body had gone through a lot, you know, two pregnancies before that. So with him, I went three days overdue, which was so surprising because I was actually dilated, I think up to like three centimeters for a month. And even the doctor and the midwife told me, oh, you should go into labor soon. I don't think you're going to go past your due date. But guess what? I did go past my due date and it was so uncomfortable because by the third pregnancy, the baby was so low. He was literally just sitting right on my pelvic area. I felt like, you know, he'll just like pop right out. Of course they don't, but I wish it was that easy. But I mean, that's how low he felt. It was just so uncomfortable. And for those of you who's had multiple children, you understand that feeling of just like that heaviness around your pelvic area, like your vaginal area. It's such an uncomfortable feeling, just a lot of pressure. 
So with him, I went over my due date. I was just so uncomfortable. I stayed close to home. He was born in August, so it was very hot. So the last um, week, I stayed close to home just because I just was too tired to go anywhere. And then I lost my mucus plug for the first time. So mucus plug just kind of comes out. It's of your, when you're going pee and it just looks like like mucus. It just looks like mucus, almost like how your like snot looks, but bigger. And it was like tinged with blood. It's exactly what you hear. It looks like that's exactly how it looked like. I went to the bathroom and that came out and I was like, wow, that's my mucus plug. And I went into labor that day. So for me, it happened really fast. Oh, and I forgot to add that when I went on my due date, I actually had my membrane stripped. And this was my only time, first and my last time I had my membrane stripped. So it did work for me. It's not something that's recommended because of risk of infection. But I think if you're really close to your due date and your body is like ripe, your cervix is, you know, soft and it's, you know, your body's ready, stripping your membrane can really just jumpstart your labor process. And this was the pregnancy where I had a really long first part of the labor. They call it prodromal labor. Um, I learned this term during at my third pregnancy where I was feeling contractions for, I think, about a week. So I would have contractions and they're not fake or false contractions because they do move you closer to labor. It just comes and goes and comes and goes it'll start it'll stop and it's so frustrating I think a lot of moms who experience this they actually go into the hospital several times only to be told you're not in active labor yet so this can be very difficult I think for first-time mothers to know when to go into the hospital my advice is just try to labor at home as long as you can because most likely your first baby is going to take some time to come out. So even when you're at five or six centimeters, that's still not too late, especially with their first baby. So for me, and of course, you know, consult with their medical doctor before you take my word for it. But at least for me, I was at three, four centimeters for a long time. And I labored at home over a week, which sounds crazy. But that's what happened to me. So I was in labor, I'll get contractions, and then it'll stop. And I'll get it again, it'll stop. Pretty much it wasn't um, time for me to go into the hospital until it, that continued. So with with my son, I by the time I went to the hospital, I was already at four centimeters. And then once I was there, like an hour later, my water broke at the hospital. So I was in active labor, and that, that kind of jump-started my labor. I dilated to about five to six centimeters and then the pain got intense. But you know, looking back, it wasn't that bad. But I think again, because I was so scared of the pain, I wasn't equipped with the knowledge that, you know, labor pains are natural, that I can, you know, trust my body to guide me through it. Right when the pain started getting bad, I said, okay, I want an epidural. So I got the epidural at five, when I was around five or six centimeters, it got better. And that's another thing. When you get the epidural, it can slow down your your labor process. So your body, it kind of slows down the entire process because you're not feeling the pain. And I think, you know, again, what I said at the beginning of this episode, labor pains have a reason. You know, that pain is a, is a pain that comes with a clear purpose. Each pain is moving the baby down your birth canal and it's making your baby's entrance possible. And I wish I thought of it that way, but you know, with my third baby, I said, Oh gosh, the contractions are coming. I'm scared. I'm in pain. Okay. I'll get the epidural. So it was very smooth. Um, once I got the epidural, it was another five, six hours. And then, you know, I was ready to push, you know, pushing was good. And because it's my third baby, I didn't have any tears. But I remember feeling so exhausted. And I have the birthing video, the birth video on my blog. But I was so happy. As soon as he came down out, I was crying. And I felt, you know, overwhelmed with emotion and joy. But I remember once he came out, I was just so tired because I was up, you know, I wasn't sleeping well just leading up to that day because, you know, I was waking up due to my regular constant contractions. As soon as my baby came out, 
I laid back and I just closed my eyes and I remember thinking, oh, it's done. You know, he's here. And then from there, I was just so, so exhausted. So, you know, 30 minutes, they, or an hour later, they, my hospital's really good at giving you proper time to bond with the baby. I breastfed him and we're moved to the postpartum room. And at that point, I just passed out. And I remember my husband did everything. He did all the diaper changes. Everything was just a blur. I breastfed the baby, but the nurse or my husband would bring the baby to me. I'll breastfeed my son. And then the nurse or my husband will take my child back. And pretty much I had no energy to do anything else, but just lay there and breastfeed my baby. I couldn't even keep my eyes open. This is, uh, for the first time, I, exp- I hired a postpartum help, which is a very common practice in the Korean culture where moms will hire someone to cook for you and pretty much take care of you and the baby while you recover. So normally it's about three to four weeks. I had her for three weeks. And yes, it was costly, but you know, I, it was so worth it for me. And it was the first time I've done that. And I wish. I could have done that sooner where just having nutritious homemade food just cooked for you every day, three meals a day. And, you know, there's very, they're very targeted for postpartum and nursing mothers to make sure that your breast milk supply is coming. Because the last thing you want to do after you give birth when you're in pain is worrying about food, like what you're going to eat, how you're going to eat it. And, you know, you're just so tired and overcome with emotion and you're just exhausted. So she cooked for me. She helped me with the baby. She massaged my belly every day, which helped a lot. Um, and of course, this is not something that every mom can get. And I understand that, but that was something that I gifted myself with by my third baby. And there was a clear difference in my recovery and I was um, really well after about a month. So now moving on to my favorite birth experience, was, which is with my fourth baby, my last baby, Gia Rumi. And with her, I told you guys earlier at the beginning why I wanted a unmedicated birth. So I was ready. I was just reading, reading positive birth stories. And, you know, I hired a doula and I was just ready. I knew that my body can do this because so many other women have done it successfully. And they told me that they loved their experience despite the pain. You know, it's like this high that you feel. And some women are so almost like addicted to that feeling that they want to go again naturally the next time. And I don't have plans of having another baby after my fourth, but if I were to have another baby, I would most definitely do unmedicated birth again. I mean, it was such an empowering and transformative experience. Once I got over the fear of the pain, it was just so amazing. So the fourth time around, I was more confident about my body and what it can do. And I've already been living a more holistic and natural life for a few years. I got rid of toxic chemicals from my home. I'm very mindful about what type of laundry detergent and cleaners I use around the house. And that's um, a topic that I want to discuss in another episode, but I have my own personal reasons why I did that. It's just been great. I can feel a huge difference in my own well-being as well as for my family. And this is something that I feel really, really passionate about as well. So, you know, my body was ready for it. I looked into different birthing centers because initially I really wanted a water birth just because it felt so calming and beautiful. I looked into birthing centers in the area and my insurance doesn't cover for that. So I would have had to pay about $8,000 out of pocket. And I was, you know, considering it, but looking back, I'm glad I didn't because my water broke before. So if I, uh, when your water breaks, you're not able to have a water birth. So if I had um, reserved a water birthing center room, then I would not be able to get my money back and I would have had to go to the hospital anyway. So that was a very, very great choice. I got so lucky with that. So the day of my uh, delivery was, I'm sure you guys remember Kobe Bryant. It was a day of his death. 
you know, I am a huge Kobe Bryant fan. I'm a huge Laker fan. I'm not even a big basketball or a football person, but I love the Lakers. I loved watching him play. And, you know, my husband and I were both huge fans. And we, when we're dating, we watched a lot of um, his games. And I just love his uh, work ethic and just all everything that he stands for. So I remember that morning and I was, I was a week away from my due date and my mom was in town because she wanted to be here for me when I go into labor. So we went to church that morning and I wanted a baptismal name for my fourth daughter. And um, this is something I should probably talk about this in another episode too. But I named all my children after saints. Part of it is to give nod to my Catholic background. And part of it is because I believe that we are all saints in our own ways, in our everyday environment. And even though we can't be gods, we're not like Jesus or Mother Mary. But I do believe that if we stay true to our sole purpose and what God intended us to be, that we can be or we are saints in our um, everyday ways. My first daughter, Elise, is named after St. Elizabeth, which is also my mother's baptismal name. My second daughter, Tessa, is named after St. Therese. She's one of my favorite saints that I had the honor of meeting, not in person, but I visited her church, her shrine, and her monastery back in Paris when I was in high school. She made a lasting impression on me, so I named her Tessa. And my son, Declan, is named after St. Declan of Ireland. He is the first saint of Ireland before St. Patrick with a really long, beautiful history. And with my last, with my fourth baby, I knew I wanted to name her Rumi. That's just the name that came to me during my pregnancy, and I knew that. But I also wanted to follow the tradition of um, naming her son or her after a saint like her sisters and her brother. So I went to church that day, it was a Sunday, and I prayed to God and I said, I think the baby's going to be here really soon, please give me a name. Like, I'm going to look for a name, I I know you're going to send me signs, you're going to let me know. So I kind of gave him like a date, a deadline, because I had a feeling that she was going to be here soon, and I was right. And that day, Kobe Bryant passed away. So after church, on our way home, uh, we read the article that he passed away, and it was just so heartbreaking. I was floored. And later, we found out that his daughter, Gianna, was in the helicopter with him. So that day, I don't know if you remember, but it was a day of Kobe Bryant and Gianna. You just heard their names everywhere. And I was just so, so heartbroken. I was like, Gianna, Gianna, Gianna. And then it dawned on me. So I came home, I googled Saint Gianna, and I don't know if you know, but Kobe Bryant is also a devout Catholic, and I think those daughters, his his daughters are all named, um, they all have baptismal names as well, and Saint Gianna was a, a patron saint of working mothers, and she also um, became a saint by choosing not to abort her child. It's a long story, but she was pregnant with her fourth daughter. I think they found something wrong and they had to, she had the choice of either terminating the pregnancy or going through with it. And she chose to keep the baby and she gave birth to her fourth child and she passed away after that. So, you know, she comes with this really beautiful story and then it just dawned on me. I said, okay, I think St. Gianna is it. So that's why that's part of where we got the inspiration for her name, Gia. We didn't want to make it exactly the same. And Gia also has a beautiful name. It means God is gracious. It has the same meaning as Gianna. So we named her Gia and we're going to baptize her as Gianna when the churches open up again. I know they're not doing baptisms right now. So like I told you guys earlier, my fourth labor and delivery experience was my favorite. Because I think I finally trusted my body. I wasn't so scared of the pain anymore. So let me just give you guys a timeline of how it went down. So that night, I was really sad because of Kobe Bryant and his daughter's death. At 11 o'clock, my water broke. And it felt more like a trickle. It wasn't like a gush of water. It was more like a slow trickle. And then that continued kind of throughout the night. So around 2 a.m., 
I sensed more trickle and it just kind of continued. And then at 3.30, I, it was like more of a gush. And I just knew at that point that my water was slowly breaking, which was my first time. And around that time, from like 3 to 10 a.m., I was still having mild cramping and contractions. But at this point, I was somewhat used to having some mild cramping and contractions because my body was already preparing for labor over a course of weeks. But it was nothing too painful. You know, I couldn't sleep much, but it was definitely still uncomfortable. And I knew that my body was um, getting prepared to deliver this baby. And I know some of you guys may wonder, I know I did, what the difference between um, amniotic fluid and, you know, if you ever like go pee, like TMI again, but sometimes when your water breaks, some women have trouble knowing the difference between your water, your amniotic fluid versus urine. The difference is like the color is more clear and you could kind of tell But let's say your water, you think your water broke and you don't really know why the best, the next best thing to do is um, by smell because when your amniotic fluid breaks, it kind of smells, it's like a little bit of like a sweetness to it, but it also smells like chlorine. I know it's really weird. I had to Google search this, but it's true. It smells more like chlorine. Your amniotic fluid definitely smells different than urine. So if your water breaks and you're not sure if that was your water breaking, that's how you know. So by 10 o'clock, I was just waiting, waiting for my contractions to get stronger, but it never did. So at 10 o'clock, I finally called the hospital and I told them that my water broke the night before around 11 p.m. And they said, you have to come in. We don't want you going too long. So at this point, you know, I took it slowly. I took a shower and I let my husband sleep because I knew that um, if I go into labor, then we're in for the long haul. And that's what having your fourth, uh, having four kids can do for you kind of makes you a lot more, I guess, laid back and not as anxious. So I kind of took things slowly. I finished packing my hospital bag. I had everything ready for the kids. I had a nanny here. My mom had flown in from Seattle. So at 12 o'clock at noon, I got checked in. And I have to say on my drive to the hospital, I remember feeling a little more like antsy. It's like my body knew I was like in labor, like my mind was more focused and I was just kind of at a, a like at this different place. So at 12 o'clock, I got checked in. They checked my dilation and I was already at four centimeters which I suspected because my body was, you know, doing this thing, having mild contractions and, you know, leaking fluid for some time. So I knew that and I asked them that I I told them that I still want to wait and I want labor to start naturally. I didn't want Pitocin and I didn't want them to jumpstart my labor. By 1 p.m., more water broke and I can, it was just kind of like leaking, you know, over the course of like 12 hours, which is definitely not normal. I think that is what they call like an amniotic rupture or something like that. And by this, by this point, the midwife said that they have to administer Pitocin and get the baby out because it's been over 12 hours and nothing was happening. And the greater the risk for the baby, I mean, the risk of infection for the baby. So I had to agree, even though I didn't want to. And this is, you know, like I said before, it's completely out of your hands. And when it comes down to protecting the well-being of your baby, you have to make that choice. So at at one o'clock, we started the Pitocin drip. And I asked them to start with the lowest dosage possible because I was still hoping that my natural oxytocin, my natural hormones will kick in and it'll just jumpstart my labor process and move into active labor fast. But again, nothing was happening. Four o'clock, three hours later, 4 p.m., they checked me again, no progress. And at this point, I was so discouraged and frustrated because I had already been at the hospital for four hours. I was already at four centimeters and for the past five hours, nothing was happening. So the midwife says they have to up my Pitocin level again. So I asked them, okay, can you just Um, increase it little by little. Again, if you're out there, just please know that you have full control over how much they administer into you. I think at this point, I felt like I was in control over my delivery process. I was the one giving them 
directions on what I wanted. And it's not even a matter of control. It's more like having an experience that you want. And you know, this is your a very important and very sacred time. You've waited 10 months for this and you don't want to be rushed through it. You don't want this to be dictated by um, uh, someone else, unless there's a medical reason, of course. But you know, you want to feel like you're able to cherish, you know, that moment. It's not supposed to feel overwhelming or stressful like it did for me the first time. So um, at 4 p.m., they also had to place an internal contraction monitor, which goes through your vagina. And it was very uncomfortable. I did not want the monitor there, but the midwife said they have to monitor my contraction just to make sure that my contractions were, you know, effective. So again, you know, your contraction pains, don't be scared of it because you need your contractions to be painful for it to bring down the baby. So like I said earlier, you know, those uh, contraction labor pains, it means something. And that went for another two hours. By this time, my doula was called. She was by my side. And by 6 p.m., two hours later, I was in full-blown labor. At this point, the contractions were strong. They were regular. I was in pain and I could not, I couldn't talk through them. And that's how you know you're in active labor when you're unable to talk through your contractions. And that's normally when the doctor asks you to come into the hospital. So if you're having a normal um, labor and you don't have leaking fluid like me, then you're able to stay home until this point. So at six o'clock, I just couldn't talk through my contractions anymore. I was in active labor. At this point, my doula was right by my side, massaging my back. Um, She also brought some essential oils. That helped a lot. And she was just telling me, you know, you can do this playing uh, these birthing affirmations. And it went something like this. I'm sure you can find this on YouTube. And it goes something like, my body is powerful. My body is completely relaxed. I'm ready to meet my baby. My body and my baby know exactly what to do. I am strong. I feel calm, confident, safe, and grounded. I surrender this process to my body and my baby, something like that. And when you hear this, even while you're in um, labor and you're feeling the pain, just a lot of it is mental. You just have to refocus, close your eyes and just, you know, let the pain come in waves. And I kind of like to imagine my contraction pain as waves rather than pain. Um, And I reminded myself that each wave of pain was moving my baby down the birth canal, that the pain meant something. I reminded myself that I'm part of this universe's great design, that I'm bringing a new life into the world, that I'm part of life's miracle, and that these waves are just a part of the process. And I just try to let go and surrender to the process. And contrary to my first experience where I felt like I was going to die, I was like pretty much, I was like freaked out. I was so scared. I was just in full of fear and when you have your when you have so much fear your body senses that and the pain just feels more unbearable but this fourth time i was just really closing my eyes and surrendering to the process and trying to visualize contractions coming in waves it definitely helped and what's great about going into labor naturally is that there's a break in between so you're not in constant pain continuously it's uh, the pain comes and goes so you feel the pain coming and you get through that pain with the help of a doula or your partner if your partner is great at guiding you through the process and once that contraction comes and goes you have you're like you know and you you have some time to breathe and to prepare for the next contraction. And it's, again, it's a very spiritual experience. It was for me. Some women say it, it really helps to have a focal point. I think for me, I just try to really visualize, um, and just focus on each pain. And I just try to just, you know, feel the pain and just know that my baby is getting closer. My baby's coming down the birth canal. I can do this. I can't wait to meet my baby. My doula was continuing with the birthing affirmations and it was just overall a really intense experience, but also a very, a very special one. You know, when else were you going, are you going to feel pain like that? That means something. Oh, and she told me this, that you can get through any pain like for 10 minutes. 
And that's how, and that really stuck with me. No matter how painful something is, you can get through it for 10 minutes. And what's great is that the pain goes away until you reach transition. Oh my goodness. And yes, when you reach transition, the pain becomes truly intense and unbearable. And usually this is where they say women give up. And when you're in transition, in true transition, it's kind of hard to even get epidural because you're not able to sit still because of the pain and you can't sit still to get the epidural on your back. And uh, once I reached this point, I didn't even know I was in transition because it just happened so fast. I went from bearable pain to like this really intense pain pretty fast. And when I reached that point, I remember at a certain point, I told everyone, I said, I feel like crying. Like it was just so much. And I asked my nurse for an epidural. I said, okay, I can't handle this anymore. Please, please call the anesthesiologist. I need, I can't handle this. And she said, okay, okay. But before you get your epidural, you got to get this full bag of IV. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. There's no way I can get through this. But what can you do, right? And then the contractions just came stronger together. I was in pain. I was like holding onto the side of the bed. And I was like, please, please call. You know, I, I need an epidural. And right when they were saying that, you know, the nurse was, I guess, calling for an epidural. My husband asked if they could check me. I think he kind of, which was, I very, I'm like very thankful that he did that. He asked the nurse, like, can you check her? Because I think she's getting closer. I think no one thought that I was dilating that fast. But sure enough, the nurse checked me and she said, okay, there's no time for an epidural because the baby's head is right there. Like you're ready to have the baby. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I'm right there. And in a way, it was a very, I was so happy to hear that because it meant that my pain meant something and that I was so close to meeting my baby. So transition was so intense, but it was also very, very fast. And I can see why a lot of women say at this point, you're like kind of, you reach a different state after being in pain for the slower pain for that long. And you reach this point of like really intense pain. You're kind of in like a different place. And I wish I could explain that better. But again, that's like the beautiful part of having a natural labor is everything is just so raw. And then they, you know, got it and I just felt this like rush of energy. People are just like moving faster. I was ready to push and they're saying, okay, you're getting ready to push. The midwife was called in and from then it was just time to push. I focused and the midwife said, hey, remember what we talked about before? Make sure you're blowing. I think she made me blow. She said, blow, blow. And that helped me so much. You're just like blowing and again, your throat is open. It just helps to move the bo- the baby move down and your body's just relaxed. It's opening. I mean, that intense pain and the intense moment, I really can't put into words. And I pushed and it happened so fast. I pushed and the next thing you know, the baby was out. And you can see this uh, video on my vlog. It's actually one of my favorite videos. There's nothing raw in there. I made sure that uh, my husband was filming from the top. But I mean, you can see the intense, intense emotion. I was just in like this place of like, you know, pain, but so much gratitude, so much gratitude. And I felt this like rush of love hormones. It was the most amazing moment of my life, you know, and my husband. I'm so thankful that he was there by my side. And I'm so thankful for my doula as well. It was just such an intense experience. And overall, it was just so worth it. So the baby was out, no tears. I mean, she just, she was perfect in every way. She was so alert. And there was just like this intense, beautiful energy in the room. And I cried. I cried, you know, happy tears. The baby was just so healthy. I was just so grateful. And just like that, Gia Rumi was born. She was my biggest girl, seven pounds and 10 ounces. And everything was just perfect. And gosh, at that moment, I was just like, wow, I did it. My husband was cheering me on. He was like, you did it, honey, you did it. And it was really the happiest moment of my life. There was definitely a time when the pain was so intense and there was blood. At one point, you know, there was like blood trickling down. And I asked the midwife, like, what's happening? Is something wrong? And she was like, no, blood is really normal. I mean, gosh, like everything just feels very raw if I can explain my uh, unmedicated labor and delivery experience in one word, I would say raw. Everything was very raw, but it was also so beautiful, intense, but so beautiful. 
Baby was out. I breastfed her. We had a skin to skin contact for about an hour. And there is what's called a golden hour. It's the first hour after a baby's childbirth. And you can read more about that on my blog post. I'm going to link that on show notes. And there are different stages that the baby goes through during this, during this time of the golden hour. It's a very important time. It's so crazy because 30 minutes, literally 30 minutes after I gave birth, I was able to walk. I mean, I was in euphoria. I was so happy. I was in ecstasy. And as they wheeled me out of the room, as I um, got in the wheelchair, I felt like I could walk. But of course, you're not supposed to walk. I actually told one of my nurses, I said, I want to do that again. And she was laughing. She's like, wow, like those birthing hormones got you like really high. And it did. It was a fact. It was exactly, actually, it wasn't exactly as I, it was even better than what I imagined. And it was just such a special, special experience. And I'm so thankful that I got to experience that. So yeah, that's my uh, story. And the pain was clearly there, but so was my concentration and determination. And yes, the really painful part of the contraction was painful, but man, that joy, the the joy and the love I felt and the energy, the overwhelming, the surge of energy I felt after was so worth it. And I was able to breastfeed my baby. I wasn't tired like the third time. I was just awake. Um, of course, my body was tired, but just like your body's just pumping these like super, super charged, you know, love hormones into your body. And yeah, immediately the pain is gone and you just feel amazing. So I kind of wrote that high, I think for about a week until I got home. I want to do a separate episode about self-care and the postpartum on a later episode. So before I go, I wanted to leave you guys with my tips for a natural childbirth. Uh, one is to hire a doula if possible and just make sure that your support person is knowledgeable about the birth and the pain management techniques. Um, this is not something you can do alone. I'm sure you can, but it does require a lot of focus and determination and it just helps to have a support system that you trust and that you can um, turn to for guidance. What really helped me is to have my own water bottle with the straw. I drink water throughout my um, labor and that helped a lot because you're going to feel really parched and tired and you just need a lot of um, water and fluid during the process. If you use essential oils, that really works. For me, lavender worked. I used peppermint oil throughout my pregnancy for nausea and headaches and essential oils just really work for me. My doula had a lavender one that she used um, in the room and that really helped me a lot. Prepare calming birth affirmations, whether on paper or audio form. I've heard of women who have it on paper, but for me, the audio form really worked and you can find this on YouTube. And just ask your support system, whoever it is to give you support, to just keep giving you reminders throughout your labor if you really want to go unmedicated. Because there will be times when you want to just give in and ask for pain meds. And for me, luckily, I was pretty focused. I was pretty determined. So this didn't happen until transition where like if I really, even if I wanted epidural, it was too late. But yeah, it really helped. I made sure I told my doula, even if I asked for pain meds, make sure they don't give it to me unless it's absolutely necessary because I really, really want to experience this. And I'm really glad that I did Oh, and having a peanut ball really helped me. A peanut ball is like a balance ball, like an exercise ball, but it looks like a peanut. And you put it in between your legs, whether you're laying on your side, and it really just helps to open up your pelvic area. And that helped me a lot um, during labor because while you're in labor, you're really trying to focus and bring that baby down. You want to have meaningful, strong enough contractions to bring the baby down the birth canal. And have an open mind and, um, you know, that state of surrender that I talked about at the beginning of the episode to surrender to the pain. Don't use the word pain. See it as more as like waves that bring your baby down. It's definitely painful, but for me, it's, it's really at the end of the day, this is like a mental, it's a psychological, it's a perspective, you know, it's a, it's a mind thing. And if you really shift your perspective and view the pain as meaningful instead of something to be scared of, it will really help you to experience an unmedicated uh, birth if you want to. Again, 
you know, these are only tips. If you're one of those people who don't want to experience any pain, I completely understand because it gets pretty painful. And I myself had three epidural births that were just as beautiful. I just want to, um, you know, use this time just because I did have such an empowering fourth and final pregnancy or in labor. I just want to give you guys my positive birth story. But if that's not what's meant for you, that's perfectly fine. Again, there is no right or wrong way to give birth. And yeah, don't be scared of the pain and trust your body. Your body is made for this. You know, think about all the ancestors in our history, all the women throughout history who's done this, you know, we're meant to do this. Our bodies are more powerful than we've ever imagined. And if you're really set on experiencing an unmedicated birth, I hope these tips really helped you. If you have any questions, ask me on my DM or feel free to leave a comment on my blog. I have tons of resources on my blog under pregnancy. I have my birth stories up there. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I'll talk to you guys again next week with a fresh episode. Thanks so much for listening to Mommy Diary, the podcast. If you can relate to any of my stories, my hope is that you leave this episode feeling a little less alone and a lot more inspired. For more parenting and lifestyle stories, head over to my blog, mommy-diary.com or join me on Instagram at mommydiary. If you're loving this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. I love connecting with you, so send me a DM and let me know what you'd like to hear next. Talk to you next week.